If you've ever seen Star Wars, I think it's The Empire Strikes Back, you know, when Luke Skywalker goes to find Yoda and he's on the Dagobah system. That place is a giant swamp. That's what you would expect the Everglades to look like. It doesn't even look close to that. It's very different. Everything is moving. Everything is clean. It literally is a 50 mile wide river of grass. So cool. It's amazing. This is the Exploring the National Parks podcast with Dirt in My Shoes. My name is Ash, and I'm a former park ranger and the founder of Dirt in My Shoes. I think that the parks are best seen from the trail, and I'm here to make national park trip planning easy. And I'm John. I carry the kids on the trails, I tell stories, and notice all the things that Ash doesn't care about much, like trees. Join us as we show you around America's spectacular national parks. We're sharing our favorite places, fun facts, adventures, and misadventures. And we'll even throw in a little trip planning. Let's start exploring. Welcome, everybody, to the Fun Facts episode for Everglades National Park. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to geek out on Everglades. And Ash is here to join me. I am. I will try to geek out with you. (laughs) I can only anticipate how many details are going to come through for the Everglades today. Oh, my gosh. I was up last night. I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. I will try to pick the highlights because there are so many things that I was just like, I didn't know. Oh my gosh, how cool is that? So many fun things. So, but the Everglades National Park, that's what we're focusing on today. And I'm at the wheel, so we will be steering directly into science and biology (laughs) and lots of fun things, geology even. So for the person that really that's what you're about. We're about to, we're coming here just for you today. This is for everybody. It'll be fun, but we'll, we'll hit a few things that'll be more sciencey than uh, maybe Ash would direct us into. She wouldn't drive us directly into some of those things. I wouldn't, but I do enjoy hearing you talk about all the things that you've learned yes. and, you know, the things that make the Everglades so cool. Yeah, so I, I'm excited. And there are so many cool things, but we'll start out. Fun fact number one starts out with a quiz. So, Ash, why are the Everglades a national park? Do you, did you read through any of like the park brochures or anything to tell you why it became a national park? Okay, so from what I can remember is the Everglades is like a really important ecosystem for that area mm-hmm. of Florida. Yes. And it's been getting smaller, mm-hmm. right? It's not been taken care of (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's been getting smaller and so i'm guessing that it has something to do with that like needing to protect that area for the importance that it is to the ecosystem the wildlife you know the water flow Mm -hmm. i imagine is a big part of it yep uh and so to protect it for that reason all of those are very good reasons but you didn't get the answer that i was looking for so five points to (laughs) Five points taken from Slytherin, because I know that's your group. Um, okay, no, you're absolutely right. I, that was false. So, yeah, there's a lot. It's a really important ecosystem, but it supports one specific thing that was kind of the catalyst. And the catalyst is a surprising thing because it's not necessarily, it's it's a little outside of the Everglades is what I'm referring to. But the reason the Everglades is a national park is because of fashion. You love fashion. (laughs) Fashion. And I, what do I actually always say? 
You hate fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I always say to Ash, whenever she realizes that I dressed the boys, uh, I always say, I hate fashion. Or whenever we're like out and he sees someone wearing something he doesn't like, they'll mm-hmm. say like, I hate fashion. Because <laughs> we'll know they're probably being fashionable, but we're not very fashionable. And mm-hmm. so... You know, we don't get it. (laughs) Yes, I don't understand lots of things about fashion, but there are lots of people out there that do. And fashion is a great thing because I really love flannel patterns. And if we didn't have fashion, I wouldn't have flannel. And so, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I say, oh but I'm God. just gonna leave that there. My fi- my favorite time of day and year is when it's in the evening and it's cold enough outside for me to wear my flannel pajamas with a flannel jacket, where I have two clashing flannel patterns. Last week at flannel Yellow- on flannel. Yeah, last week at Yellowstone, you took it up a notch because he had his flannel pajama pants, a flannel shirt. And then a flannel jacket. <laughs> flannel on flannel on flannel. Oh, so, so good. Beat that. <laughs> yes, yes. So anyways, that's that's where I stand on fashion. But it brought us the Everglades. And let me explain how. Okay, so fashion, let's take it back a couple hundred years. Okay. And if you were to, if you were to and I'm going to give you a person, Abraham Lincoln. What's the most fashionable item that he wears? His top hat. His top hat, right? Okay, boom, exactly. And his top hat was made out of, almost all top hats were made out of like beaver skins, you know, because there was just something about their skins. Uh, They were really sturdy. They had just the right amount of oils, blah, 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 blah. There's lots of things, lots of reasons why those were used, but that's what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted a beaver skin top hat. But there's no beavers in the Everglades. So we know that can't be it. Well, what was uh, Abraham Lincoln's wife wearing? Oh, okay. I vaguely remember this, I think. Does this have something to do with bird feathers? It does. Okay. It has everything to do with bird okay. feathers. Okay. I remembered something. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so there are so many different types of birds in the Everglades. And just like how beaver ha- beaver skin top hats became the greatest fashion throughout like New England and Europe. Feathers were a huge deal for ladies' hats. In all over Europe, all over New England, you know, if if you went to a big city and you went to a a large event and you wanted to show off a little bit, you would have some really unique feathers in your hats. And that's how you would decorate yourself. And so for over, I mean, this was, this went back really far, you know, ever since, you know, you had all these trappers and hunters getting beavers. You had all, but then in Florida, they kind of call them gladesmen. You know, they would go into the Everglades in their kind of canoes and, you know, they were really good at their jobs and they would catch all these birds because there's over 360 kinds of birds in the Everglades of all different colors from all over the world. And so these gladesmen would export feathers, but they were so good at their job. They were so good at their job. And let me read this quote to you that describes just how many birds there actually were. It says, this is from actually John James Audubon. So in the 1800s, John Audubon wrote back regarding, wrote about his visit to South Florida. And he said, we observed great flocks of waiting birds flying overhead towards their evening roosts. And they appeared in such numbers to actually block out the light from the sun 
for some time. Oh my gosh, that's my worst fear. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Having that many birds around me pooping and... Yes, so many birds. That's just how magical this ecosystem is. There, it's just the perfect Garden of Eden con, you know, conditions for so many birds to be in the Everglades. There were so many of them. You know, it was just like... You know, you could just randomly shoot an arrow, I'm assuming, into the Everglades and catch like three birds on it, you know, and then sell it to somebody in New York, you know, and they'd build a bunch of hats. And so, but they got so good at their job. There was such demand for these hats and for this plumage, for the feathers, that even though there were so many birds, the population just got decimated. And so over time, you know, there was a conservation effort to save all the birds. And so, you know, people were noticing, hey, there's not as many birds around here anymore. And so they, in what was it, 1900 or so? Yeah, in 1900, the conservation-minded people working with the governor and working with some local government and stuff like that, and they actually put a ban on plumage hunting in the Everglades. But, you know, for the National Park wasn't it's instituted until like 1934 and so there was still kind of like this moonshine type of experience in the everglades where you had all these guys that were kind of still secretly hunting birds for like 34 years and it was a really interesting thing and it, it was it was still bad enough that they had to make it a national park to kind of really enshrine the conservation of these birds into place and that's why fashion is the real main catalyst for the Everglades becoming a national park. So interesting, you know, and you have to think about those gladesmen because, and this happens a lot when we create national parks, right? You're taking an area that people survive on mm -hmm. and people rely on for a living and, mm -hmm. you know, they have a specific way of life. Yep. And so, you know, I just, I always think the human history of the park, because it wasn't that long ago, less mm -hmm. than 100 years. I mean, Everglades is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year, 2022. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, you know, and so it wasn't that long ago. No. And I just think, you know, it's just interesting how it always, you know, it always connects to something else. So you've got these people who then now need to find another way to live. Oh, man, could you imagine you how know. frustrating that would be? Like one day you have a livelihood and then the next day your livelihood is illegal. For sure. For that would sure. be terrible. You know, but then at the same time, I mean, we have to take care of these places that mm -hmm. are so critical to our world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's what the national parks do. They take care of these beautiful, amazing, just spectacular places, but they're also important for so many different reasons and so many different creatures. And, you know, it's just, so where's the balance? I mean, it makes it really hard. Right. But after having gone to the Everglades, I mean, it is important that that place was protected. Yeah, It exactly. had to be. And it, you know, and it's sad that, that it sets off a chain reaction in other ways for other people. But at the same time, I mean, it's just... We have to take care of these places. Yeah. And luckily now, nowadays, the, the sportsman community, you know, like Duck, Ducks Unlimited and a lot of other nonprofits and things like that. I mean, the sportsmen, they're some of the best conservationists out there. Yeah. And so they've realized, 
you know, how to, they've learned and they know how to take care of a lot of these places. It just so happened, you know, that during that time, there was such a demand for feathers that it just, the Everglades couldn't maintain that amount of export of plumage. And so we had to figure out a way to to protect it. And so it's, it's really interesting. But I think in the other episode, we mentioned that your dad is from Florida. Yeah. And so the the after it became illegal, it was like there was some major like policing and po- you know there was some poaching efforts and and it was like there a almost like a black market underground yeah. trade network well, when feathers you, and when like, you I just, said that I was like oh my gosh like my family if we would have been down by the Everglades which we weren't mm-hmm. that would have been us <laughs> I have so many moonshiners uh-huh. in my family tree that's totally something I could see my present day uncle doing you know it's like i'll show them lawmen you know well that that, so there's a story it's so unique so interesting so a few years after the the ban went into place so there was this family of of plumage hunters some gladesmen and there was this guy who it was his job to go through the Everglades and make sure people weren't poaching and stuff like that. He arrested this kid twice for poaching. And his dad said, next time you arrest him, I'm going to shoot you. And then the next time this guy was do, you know, doing his rounds in the perimeter or whatever in the Everglades, found this kid again, arrested him, took him back to his dad. Bang! Dad killed the guy. Yeah. Killed the policeman. And I was just like, oh my gosh. This is, that's why this is like, it's real life. It's just not like, you know... this bland conservationist you know ethos you know this is real people's livelihoods that they were messing with but they were trying so hard to save all these birds and this whole ecosystem and habitat and you know it's it's just has a really interesting history yeah yeah i mean that i'll say it again that would have been my family that is you know we we sit around the dinner table and we talk about all the characters in our family tree from Mm -hmm. my dad's family and just laugh and laugh and laugh because it there, <laughs> I've uncovered some things that I would rather not know, uh, but <laughs> when I'm doing my family history, but yeah, I mean, I can, I can relate to that as far as just, you know, sometimes with these conservation efforts, it is like, it can be really hard to find the balance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and sometimes like, I think we can look at it now and be like, well, of course it needed to be protected and right. I'm glad it is, mm-hmm. but you know, it did affect people yep and i think that policeman that you said uh, i was reading about him actually as i was like learning about some of the people in the area uh-huh it was his name like guy guy bradley i think was yeah his i name. think that's his name yeah yep. so so thank you guy bradley for yes. trying to do trying to do your job it would be very difficult but i am glad <laughs> that the everglades is a national park i am too it's such a cool place and, you know, we reap the benefits of a lot of these people that have did some really hard things. And so anyways, I just wanted to point out that fashion gave us the Everglades. Yeah. As much as I struggle with fashion, I don't understand it. And you'll always know when I dressed my children, they gave us the Everglades and I will be forever grateful. Very cool. <laughs> okay. Fun fact number two, the Everglades is a huge, slow-moving river. I think that most people, when they think of the Everglades, you know, when they think of, you know, alligators and crocodiles, they just think of it's just a giant swamp, which couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it is, it has water, has all the things that you think it does, but it is not a smelly, stinky, nasty, gross swamp. It is a huge, awesome, cool, shallow river. 
Yeah. That blew my mind, actually, when I learned that. <laughs> and then it's fun to go around the park. And like when you're at, like, I think the Paheoki Overlook is one of the best places to mm-hmm. learn about this and to see it because it takes you kind of up and above. Mm-hmm. But you can see all the sawgrass and stuff. And then you can see the water just kind of, you know, it, it looks like it's not moving. Mm-hmm. But it's clean. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It is. And some unique, so some fun, interesting facts, I guess, about this super huge, slow moving river. It's like between 50 and 60 miles wide at some points and almost 100 miles long. So it's not the longest river in the world, but it is so wide. And if you look at the map of Florida, I mean, it's literally that whole bottom tip of it is this giant, giant, slow moving river. And to put into perspective how slow it's moving, it's sometimes the water in certain locations is only moving about 100 feet per day. Okay, that's actually more than I was thinking. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like thinking like maybe like a foot. <laughs> right. Well, if you think of it like a swamp, you know, a swamp yeah. is stagnant. It doesn't move. It's just sitting there and it's getting grosser and grosser and grosser every day. But the Everglades, I think I mentioned it before, maybe in a different video or a different podcast episode where it's doing this awesome filtration job for all the water and so if you look at a map okay if you look at a map of florida if you look kind of at the bottom half of florida you'll notice like there's this almost look if you're on google maps it looks like it has an eye you know it's got this giant lake right in the middle of florida it's called lake okeechobee which is also very fun to say go ahead and say it okeechobee (laughs) that is pretty fun (laughs) would you like some okeechobees on your pizza or okeechobee you know, if, okay, okay. okay. Anyways, <laughs> but it's this huge lake. There's so much water in Florida. It, the Everglades, the water system, I guess, starts a little bit north of Lake Okeechobee, kind of in some river areas. And then the water drifts into Lake Okeechobee and it kind of gets, it's in there for a little bit. And then the Everglades River really just goes boom from Lake Okeechobee. And it's just, if you look at like a topographical map or a map of like the flows, it's just like, whoa, you know, as this 50 mile wide river just like comes out of Lake Okeechobee and just takes over the southern half of Florida. And so it's moving so slow, but the Everglades is filtering out this water. And as you go, it's getting cleaner and cleaner. And it's just a really neat giant Brita filter, basically, you know, that is just, and actually a lot of the water that people are drinking in Florida, I think like in Miami comes just a few feet below the Everglades. You know, there's this huge aquifer that they just like punched a hole into and are sucking the water out because it's just so clean and they don't have to do much to it. You know, they might get a bug. I don't know. They probably won't get a bug. I'm sure they've got a filled. <laughs> They're getting a couple of fish here or there, you know, but no, I, I don't think that's happening. But the water is so clean by the time it gets to that aquifer because the Everglades is just this amazing filtration system. And it's totally different from what people imagine it being a swamp. It's not even close. Yeah. The, <laughs> I don't I don't understand all the water movement and stuff. And I guess I don't really know uh, why that's so important that the water would be so clean and stuff, except I would just think for the type of species and things that live there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that is like the number one thing about the Everglades that really surprised me. Yeah. Was that it is not a swamp because I feel like I... You know, every time I heard of the Everglades, I always, it was always presented to me as if it was a swamp. Right. 
So, That's what you would think. Yeah. Where else would an alligator live? Right. <laughs> right. So that did. That blew my mind when we got there. And I was like, wow, this is not a swamp. Right. If you've ever seen Star Wars, I think it's The Empire Strikes Back, you know, when Luke Skywalker goes to find Yoda and he's on the Dagobah system. That place is a giant swamp. That's what you would expect the Everglades to look like. It doesn't even look close to that. It's very different. Everything is moving. Everything is clean. It literally is a 50 mile wide river of grass. So cool. It's amazing. So fun fact number two is just get your expectations right, man, before you go to this place, because it's going to blow them away. <laughs> so, it did for me. Oh, one last thing, you know, okay. As I was like, what? How long does it take water to get from Lake Okeechobee then down to the Gulf, down to the down to the coastline? Because if it's only moving like 100 feet a day, I was like, oh my gosh. But it moves a little bit faster in some places. But it can take like a year or even a little bit more for the water to leave Lake Okeechobee and get down to the coast. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. The water's moving so slow. And to put it in perspective, I tried to figure out, okay, what are some other major rivers in the country? Like the Mississippi. So the Mississippi is 2,300 miles long from like its headwaters up in Minnesota. How long do you think it takes water to get from the headwaters in Minnesota all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico? I really have no frame of reference. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It's not something I've ever thought about. It takes almost about, about 90 days. So three months. Okay. And it takes, and it's only like 100 miles from Lake Okeechobee down to the coast. And so that's well, you how... You said the Mississippi was what? 20... The, the Mississippi is like 2,300 miles. 2,300 miles? And so, it's only 100? I could is... roll. Like I could lay down and roll from Lake Okeechobee down to the coast faster, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. That's amazing. That's crazy. That is so fast. So, and then, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. So I really like that that about... And put it into perspective a little bit. It's just slow. It's just It's just taking its time. So... Fun fact number three, the highest and most prominent mountain, if you can call it that. No. The highest and <laughs> I most already prominent said mountain. No. <laughs> the highest and most prominent point in the Everglades is Hamilton Mound, and it's 20 feet above sea level. I love how you tried to call that a mountain. <laughs> Mountains everywhere are super offended. <laughs> it's all relative to your size. <laughs> A 20-foot mountain to an ant is huge. Yeah, well, 20 feet in Everglades is huge. It is. It is huge. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of blows me away. Like, we go, like, I could ride my bike in five minutes, you know, and go up and down more elevation than you could ever do in Florida, it seems like. It is so flat. It's crazy. 20 feet from is nothing. I could literally walk upstairs and I'm basically higher than any point in the Everglades. What's crazy, though, is you get even just a few inches of elevation in the Everglades and the trees change. Yeah. Plant life changes, you know, because you've got these hammocks all over the Everglades, which are just basically little mounds. That's what they know? call the mounds. Yeah, they call yeah. them hammocks. Yeah. And, you know, so you can get a hammock that barely comes up out of the river. You know, it doesn't have to come up that far. And then like like the mahogany hammock, which is super cool, and you can walk on that one. There's mm -hmm. a trail through it. But like that one has the what, the oldest mahogany tree in the U.S. Ooh, I cool. think. 
either the oldest or like the biggest or uh-huh. what well, I remember. Yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, that's crazy. That's mm-hmm. crazy that those plants, you know, in those hammocks, like they're so dense with trees and foliage mm-hmm. that like you can't even get into them. You know, a lot of the wildlife in the area can't even get into them yeah. because they're so dense. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's like it one takes, of the only places with dry ground. You got to fit everything in there. Yeah. I mean, all it takes is a few inches of elevation. Yeah. That was one of the things I was going to talk about about that. So apparently Florida has been flat like this, or at least the Everglades has been flat like this since the last ice age is what the geological history tells us. And so it's been flat like this for a really long time, but they have a bunch of different main ecosystems. And like here in Utah, where we're from, you know, you'll have, you know, you'll have the rangeland, you'll have the prairie, but then you'll go up a few hundred feet onto the mountains, you know, onto the steppe or onto the foothills. And then you'll get like subalpine forest and you keep going up in several hundred feet more and you'll get alpine forests. Well, here in the Everglades, I mean, you've got different ecosystems. Like you have pine forests, cypress forests, freshwater prairies, freshwater sloughs, hammocks, mangroves, you know, estuary habitats. And the difference between each of these habitats, like you said earlier, it's inches. That's what determines what type of plants can flourish in these places. That's so crazy. Inches. <laughs> you know, it's a totally different scale than what we have anywhere in the West, you know, where it's hundreds of feet up and down these giant mountains. You get to Florida and these same, you know, it's you're squashing all the differences down to just inches, inches of little teeny tiny bit of topsoil and that's what makes the difference between this forest that forest this prairie that marsh you know all these different things it's so cool it is so cool to me yeah Yeah. i love that i mean and and again it goes back to you know you don't get the scale and like the grandeur that you do at a lot of national parks Mm -hmm. but that's the beauty of it is that you're looking so deep you're looking so detailed you're looking at all the small details to make it cool right exactly it takes a different mindset and it's actually refreshing Mm -hmm. because if you go and you're trying to figure out like why is this here Mm -hmm. like why do we care right you know but then you start looking instead of like just trying to get through it and you know look for your next instagrammable post and you know stuff like that like you're actually thinking deeper about why things are the way they are and why they look the way they look and, you know, why certain things are there and not. So and I love it, that. And doesn't it make more sense when, you know, you're like, okay, it takes a year to get from Lake Okeechobee, but that's because the elevation change is literally like 20 feet. Right. You know, it's not working its way down a mountain. Right. It's just, it's like, you know, trying, it's like, I don't know. You're trying to roll syrup down the mountain. (laughs) I was going to say, it's like when you're trying to get like all the water out of the bottom of the bathtub, you know, (laughs) when it doesn't fully drain, Uh you've got to like get your hand in there and, Mm -hmm. you know, get the rest that's just sitting in the back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I mean, totally. It makes a ton of sense. It's like, I don't know, whatever happened during the last ice age, the glaciers just flattened Florida and now everything moves nice and slow. And that's why everybody retires there. You know, it's just a slower kind of life, you know, and even the water moves slower. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So cool. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so cool. Okay. So fun fact number four. Now I have to admit that this fun fact came from the National Park Service's frequently asked questions page because 
I thought it was the funniest frequently asked question I have ever seen. I'm so on, excited. <laughs> on, on any national park website. I thought it was so funny. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Best frequently asked question ever. Why isn't that alligator moving? Is it dead or fake? (laughs) (laughs) I can just, I am just imagining. Okay. If you've ever been to national parks, you understand there are people that don't know how to interact with their natural surroundings sometimes. And like if you're in Yellowstone, people don't understand how far they need to be from buffalo or elk. And I'm just imagining somebody like that alligator hasn't moved and I've been here for three minutes. This is all a fraud. (laughs) This is is fake. They're just putting stuff out here to keep the tourists happy. (laughs) You would not believe the questions that people ask. (laughs) Please tell us a story of like, okay, tell us about Grand Teton. You want a wildlife-related one? Yes. I want, I have a very specific one in mind. Yeah, I think I know which one. Okay. So when I worked at Grand Teton and I was out, where was I? I think I was by Jenny Lake, which Jenny Lake is like the best spot for tourists who don't know what they're doing. (laughs) That's where like everybody goes who doesn't know what to do at Grand Teton. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I was there and I was in my ranger outfit So I was on duty and uh, whenever people see you, then that's when they come and, you know, just sometimes they just want to shoot the breeze, but a Mm -hmm. lot of times they have fun questions. So, but yes, so um, I was, I was working and I had someone come up to me and she was like, so where do you keep the animals at night? (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, excuse me? (laughs) Like, I didn't like, what? (laughs) yeah where do you keep the animals at night like do you have like cages that you put them in or you know (laughs) no nope (laughs) nope I don't even nope (laughs) I don't know what to say but I think you know but I mean in general and this is what I love so I love it when people go to the parks who don't normally go to the parks yes and they should and I don't mean to tease. No, I know. It's okay to tease because it happens a lot mm-hmm. and we're not making fun of any specific person. But, you know, it's fun to have people there that don't understand what they're seeing. Right. You know, and and sometimes like the situation is so foreign mm-hmm. to them that it's just like, it's a legit, like, I don't understand what I'm seeing, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's actually really fun to educate people in that way and to let them like soak in the fact that no, like this is, this is real life. Yeah. You are standing, you know, 20 feet from an alligator (laughs) right now. And if that alligator decides he wants to eat you, then he will, (laughs) you know, yes, (laughs) he's not, he's not animatronic. He's not a fake. He's not, you know, but there's not a guy in a truck at the end of the day that just comes in and throws all the inflatable alligators in the back of the truck. Yeah. But in their defense, like alligators, I, that's what I was surprised about. They don't do much. No. (laughs) <laughs> they don't you know you think that you're gonna see them like out hunting and like you know like that's at least what i thought i would see when i went to the everglades mm-hmm. was like oh yeah i'm gonna see an alligator like take down a bird and you know i'm gonna see him like you know walking across the, <laughs> the trail and you know mm-hmm. what happens if i run into one like is it gonna chase me if, you know 
And then we got there and it's like, I mean, we saw so many alligators that first time. Mm -hmm. And I think only probably like two of them moved. Right. Well, (laughs) yeah, this is one of the things. They're so foreign because we're all mammals, you know, we're warm blooded. Most of the creatures that we buy as pets, you know, that we have running around our houses are mammals, too. And so alligators and crocodiles, you know, they're so foreign to us. They're like I talked about before. It's a this is an African safari. Everglades is an African safari for ancient and weird creatures and birds. Yeah. You know, and so to see this animal like we have no idea. Why isn't it moving? Is it just waiting to attack? Because every one of us has seen those videos like, the, you know, National Geographic yeah. where a crocodile jumps out and grabs a zebra by the neck and pulls it into the water, you know. And so we're all getting to the Everglades expecting to, you know, we're going to see something like that. But in reality, they only have to eat like once a month. That's so crazy. The rest of the time, they're just trying to regulate their temperature. And so when most people go to the Everglades, you know, in the winter, which is their dry season, it's still nice and warm for most people who are visiting. You know, they're coming from a colder place with snow. They get to the Everglades, it's like 70, 80 degrees, you know, and these alligators are actually a little chilly. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, after enduring a Florida summer, (laughs) it makes sense. So they would be cold in the winter. Yeah, exactly. And so like when you go to Shark Valley or something like that and you go on this tram, it's crazy. So you just see all these alligators. And the reason that they're letting you see them is because they're just trying to get warm. They're out there. Their mouth is usually open. And so they're just soaking in the rays and letting the sun you know, interact with their body to create a comfortable regulated temperature. And so they're just chilling. They're happy to live there. You know, most of them aren't even going to bother you. They're not even, a lot of them will just not even notice you're there. But yeah, so that's one of the the funniest frequently asked question ever, right? Yeah. And I believe that. I'm sure the rangers there answer that question constantly, (laughs) constantly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, and I wanted to say this about Shark Valley. It's it's amazing. You know, you go from wherever you're from, you know, you're visiting the Everglades and you're like, my goal, I just want to see an alligator. And it's amazing. You know, at Shark Valley, you can take a tram or you can ride your bike along this trail. And, you know, it's so funny how quickly you go from stop the tram. <laughs> There's an alligator on the side <laughs> of the road to... You know, five minutes later, after you've seen 87 alligators, you're like, oh, that was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at 20 miles an hour as you're going past on the tram, the driver's like, we're not going to stop anymore if it's okay. Well, actually, bringing that up, I felt a little cheated when we took the Shark <laughs> Valley tram because they took us, like, they take you along the part of Shark Valley that doesn't have as many alligators first. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you're like super excited if you even get to see one, mm-hmm. you know, and then you get towards the end of the tram is at least when we were there, like that was where all of the alligators were. Right. And so we're like at the end of our tram tour, like we've only stopped for like two little ones, you right. know, at the beginning when everyone's <laughs> so excited. And then they didn't stop for any of those big, cool ones that we passed at the end. Uh-huh. I was like, wait. Wait, like, uh-huh. there's a mom with babies right there, and they're like, just take a picture as we drive past. You uh-huh. know? And I'm like, no, wait. <laughs> got all these blurry pictures of alligators. <laughs> I do. I'm lucky I got any good ones. I think 
the good ones that I got were ones that we like we got off the tram mm-hmm. and then we walked back down. We did yep. where the alligators were. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a very far walk. I mean, it was like 50 feet from mm-hmm. where the tram dropped us off, you know, but like they wouldn't stop. Yeah, exactly. I was so disappointed. I was like, hey, hey, there's like 50 <laughs> alligators right now and we're not even stopping. They're just like, well, then we're just going to get back, you know, and I was like, no, wait, wait. I've seen a million them. alligators over their career. <laughs> But I just, I feel like they should start at where all the alligators are while we're still excited and then they can stop and then I can get better pictures and then do the boring part at the end when they're not going to stop anyway. <laughs> yes. We see all the alligators up front and then you can focus on birds yeah, on well, the way back. And see, here's the problem now because now I'm telling them how to do their tour based on where the alligators are as if someone just went and placed the alligators, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I am that tourist that's like, why isn't it moving? Is uh-huh. it dead? What, did you guys put these out last night? Did you place them here? <laughs> what happens if I poke it with a stick? Why don't you do the tram tour in the opposite direction? So mm-hmm. I can see all the cool alligators first. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It doesn't work that way, but... No. And don't poke an alligator with a stick. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like you're just asking for trouble. Exactly. Don't try to make it move so you can get a good video or something like that. It is still a dangerous animal, even though it's not hungry right now. Oh my gosh. Okay, back to the fun facts. So, did you know there are 23 different species of crocodilian worldwide? I did not. And there are only two that are native to America, to North America. And the Everglades is the only place where these two creatures coexist. That's cool. Yeah. And they do. We saw them right next to each other. We did. They were all laying all over each other. Right around that Shark Valley Tower. Yeah. Now, there might be some people that will be like, you can't see crocodiles that far north, but I have pictures to prove it. I know. Yep. I remember that. We were like, sure, like it was for sure a crocodile. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But then we asked, well, we asked the ranger and he was like, eh. but we didn't show him the picture. We didn't show him the picture, but it had lighter skin and you could see its teeth. When its mouth was closed and it had a narrower snout. Yeah, it was. It looked totally different than the other ones. Yeah, it was awesome. And it, but it was laying right next to them. Yep. <laughs> so. so the American crocodile and the American alligator are the two that are native to North America. And you can find them in the Everglades, close together, coexisting. You know, it's awesome. It's so cool. And they both can get like 14 to 15 feet in length. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's I don't so know. Big. Did we see any that... Have we seen any that big? I don't know if we saw any that big. But, you know, they probably have the better spots. If you're that big, you're probably shouldering, you know, you're... Oh, yeah. You you're make king, your space. You're king of the Everglades at that point. You can have whatever you want. Yeah. And so you push the smaller ones out to, sh- you know, where all the tourists are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where they have to live. Okay, now this blew me away about crocodiles and alligators. Okay, so there's also another one called a caiman, which is a super small version of an alligator. It's like the stuffed animal version. Still dangerous, but it's a much smaller version. Um, And now those ones can get about five feet long when they're totally full grown, but you'll rarely see them bigger than that. But how old do you think these kind of creatures live? Well, first, but there's no caiman in America. Or is they, are they like a subspecies of... They're a separate species, but I don't... For some reason, they're not really in 
grouped in the same thing. And so there there are some in the Everglades. Oh, okay. But what you'll really see the most of is going to be the the regular American alligator and American crocodile. But yeah. Okay. So are the the Cayman are they not native? Then I guess because you said there was only two native right reptilians. So is is the Cayman not native then? They're listed on the NPS site as something that you'll see there, but I don't think I noticed. I didn't notice if they're native or not. Interesting. Okay. If anyone has the answer to that, leave yeah. us a, leave us a comment because I never saw a Cayman when we were in the Everglades. Well, I wouldn't even know. Yeah. I just thought yeah, it was a baby, a baby alligator. alligator. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would know? But so how long do you think these things live? Like their lifespan? Yeah. How long is their lifespan? Oh. Like, are they like your like regular turtles? pet? Are they like, like turtles? Dog? Uh, are are like they like 100. a turtle or like a dog where they live like 11 years and that's it? You know, what do you think? No, I think they live way longer than that. So before you steal my thunder and make a guess, the Cayman will live like between 30 and 40 years. Okay. The American alligator will live between 30 and 50 years. Okay. And the crocodiles will live between 50 and 70 years. Okay, so not as long as like a turtle, at least according to my Finding Nemo yeah. uh, knowledge <laughs> of turtles. Mr. Turtle <laughs> is my father. <laughs> 150 and still young. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a that's like a, a human. Almost. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're seeing this alligator, or this turtle, and you're like, oh, it's so cute. It's older than your dad. Yeah. It's huge. That just blew me away. I couldn't believe I'm seeing animals older than me. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought that was super neat. And so they're pretty neat. They get, like I said, they get 14 to 15 feet long. They're American alligators, American crocodiles. Super old, super cool. And that's fun fact number four, all about crocodiles and alligators. Nice. Yeah, that's what makes the Everglades the Everglades to me. Yeah, the crocodiles and alligators are the buffalo of, of <laughs> the Everglades, you yeah. know. The buffalo are two. Ooh, this is like a SAT question or an ACT question. <laughs> buffalo are two Yellowstone as alligators and crocodiles are two. Blink. The Everglades. Everglades. Very cool. cool. All right. Fun fact number five. Everglades has a really cool human history. Okay, I'm excited about this. I don't know anything. Okay, so the human history of Everglades, you know, people have been living in this area for thousands of years. And before I get too deep into it, you know, I mean, Europeans, we've only been here, you know, we've been in South Florida since like 1492, right? That's when Columbus ended up in the Americas and... You know, so the Spanish were the first people to explore the Everglades, but the native peoples have been had been here way longer, generations longer, you know, and so they have a really interesting history. And so when you're thinking of the native peoples here, and a lot of times the tribes kind of are separated, not just by like tribal affiliation, but also by language group. You know, so sometimes the Plains Indians have their language group. It's pretty similarities, kind of like how French and Spanish and Italian are kind of like the romantic languages, you know. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the Native American tribes in Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, even up to like some parts of Tennessee and South Carolina, all have they're kind of like a family grouping. 
their, a lot of their languages are pretty similar. And that meant that their culture was also pretty similar. And their culture, I think I mentioned it in the other episode, maybe in this one, how Florida, especially the tip of Florida, is kind of like the gateway to North America. And so if you're hoping to trade any of your goods, you're probably going to have to pass right by the tip of Florida. If you want to get up you know, the Mississippi River, if you want to access Central America, Mexico, any of the, the Caribbean islands, you know, plus a lot of the ocean currents took you right past Florida. And so these people, not only did they trade, you know, what they had, but I'm sure that they were, they were kind of merchants in a lot of way. They were the gateway people. And so the, the culture, they call it the Mississippian culture. And so they found some really unique things. And so like, I guess there was copper that they were mining up in Minnesota and that copper was found in some of the native American burial sites in Florida and vice versa. They found shark teeth from the Caribbean all the way up in Michigan. And so these people were traders, man. It's kind of like in, I don't know. I just picture them kind of like, the movie Moana, you know, where they were like, we're voyagers, you know, and they, you know, they traveled all around the place, carrying lots of different goods and trading with all these different people. And so you kind of have to think about that area as like a central hub of trade. And so that culture was, it was really neat as you, as you kind of look back on the native peoples that lived in that area. And so that's a fun thing that I got to learn there. And they got invaded over and over and over again because they were such a hub of trade and such an important location in the Americas. And so first came the Spanish, you know, and then the, so the Spanish moved in, you know, they claimed almost all of Florida and the peoples that lived there, a lot of the tribes that lived there, you know, they, a lot of them found themselves inside Spanish missions and a lot of the people had would flee the Spanish and where would they flee to? they would flee deeper and deeper into the Everglades or into the swamps. Where like, did they live? <laughs> I don't know. Just have houses on stilts? Yeah, I think a lot of them did. Have, have you ever, I kind of think of it, you ever see the movie The Patriot? Oh, long time ago. With Mel Gibson? Yeah. So what made them so dangerous, what made them almost indestructible in a lot of ways was Mel Gibson and his group of rebels retreated further into the swamps than any of the British or anybody else knew where they were. And so the hardier, the tougher you were, the deeper you could go into the Everglades, the more you could outlast your enemies. And so that's what a lot of the native peoples did, you know, to flee from a lot of the invaders that had come to their land and was trying to take, first of all, take their land or take them as slaves or to try to, you know, convert them to whatever, you know, Catholicism like the Spanish did or something along those lines. They would flee into the swamps, they would flee into the Everglades, and they would maintain their own culture and they would keep, you know, their tribal affiliations, you know, safe and, and strong deep in these swamps and the deep in the Everglades. Cool. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. You know? And one sad thing that happened for sure was, you know, a lot of the native peoples, they were kind of got decimated by the European diseases that came with a lot of the European peoples. And so a lot of these tribes, they kind of, they shrunk incredibly in size. And so they kind of consolidated their own, 
they consolidated themselves into smaller tribal groups and things like that. But after the Spanish came, then the British came. And after the revolution, you know, then the Americans came down and kind of, you know, they just had wave after wave after wave of invaders coming into their land. And every time, you know, things got bad, what did they do? They retreated and they went deeper and deeper back into the only the only safe place that was consistently there for him. It was the Everglades and all these swamps. It's just a really cool thing. I thought, you know, that country song by, what's his name? Hank Williams Jr., Country Boy Can Survive. I just thought that had to have been about them first, you know? <laughs> you can't starve us out and you can't make us, you know, it, I don't know. It's just the, the native peoples, which we now know mainly as like the, uh, the Seminole Indians, is kind of the what we call them now. They've gone through many different names, you know, that the European they were first, you know, the I think it was the Miskogi and then the Cimarron and then the Seminole, you know, given these different names. And now it's kind of the Seminole Indians is kind of the main tribal group in South Florida. And then, anyway, yeah, so they were some hardy people, man. They had wave after wave of invaders coming through and their one safe haven was the one place that I would never be able to survive it. No, no. I I mean, it's amazing that they could survive in there. I mean, obviously there's enough wildlife and stuff that you could, you know, maybe find some food, but like, mm-hmm. everything in there is also trying to kill you. <laughs> and there's uh-huh. not very much land, right? you know, but I mean, there is some land. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they, if they had canoes and stuff, which I mean, that's what you do in the Everglades now, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people go to canoe or kayak, mm-hmm. you know, so you can go in between all the, the hammocks or the various, you know, different areas of land right. <laughs> that are down in there. And so, I mean, it does make sense if they're used to the area and familiar with it. And, you know, then you have all these new covers that, uh-huh. that don't know how to live in that type of environment. Right. You know, and the Everglades is huge. Everglades it's massive. Is so. Yeah. Well, you know, one one thing that kind of describes, you know, they were, not only were they hardy, but they were smart. And like you mentioned it before, there's not that much land in the Everglades. And so what do you do? Can you make more land? The answer is yes, by the way, <laughs> because what a lot, what was so cool these the native peoples especially right on the coastline if they needed more land like if their tribe was growing they needed more land they literally made more land do you know what they used as building materials mangroves nope <laughs> I don't know. no shells they would use yeah. shells and they would get these shells you know like say you were a hunter gatherer or something like that you go out into these coastal areas you'd get oysters you know, or you get crabs or, you know, something like that. When you're done with it, basically you would just discard all of the shells after you consumed the creature. And over time, these discarded shells would get broken up and everything like that. And they would build up new islands. So they didn't just like discard stuff or burn it or, you know, throw it back into the ocean. They intentionally built islands out of all of these shells no way no that how would you (laughs) how would that even hold you up well i think we're thinking of it as like too big of shells yeah i think so too but like i in my mind i'm like well i mean i can't you can't just throw down a little you know some shells and be like here this is where i'm gonna build my house Uh (laughs) uh-huh 
No, so the the Calusa tribe especially was really well known for this, but it just it's a long term process, you know, and so it's a year after year process, you know. You just you grew your own islands. It's so cool. <laughs> That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? Because I was thinking, you know, I know like even in the Everglades now, if you want a backcountry camp or anything, you can go to what they call chickies. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like a platform right. that they've built that you can camp on mm-hmm. for, you know, while you're out there where there's no land. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's what I was picturing. Right. More more something like that, you right. know, mm-hmm. where it's just like, well, we don't have any land. That's fine. We'll just build into the water. Right. Nope. That's crazy. Yeah. They built their, they made their own dry land and it's so cool. And that's just, just another example of how hardy and how ingenuitive and how smart they were. And they could survive in this harsh environment and they outlasted their enemies. And I mean, even so I, I learned this really cool fact, a bunch of native peoples did end up getting relocated to places like Oklahoma on some of the reservations out there. But if you go to, but a lot of people were able to outlast and, you know, they stayed in South Florida and now the Seminole tribe of South Florida, the Seminole tribe of Florida, they have done very well. In 2007, they actually bought the Hard Rock Cafe and Casino business, like the whole chain of businesses. So if you ever eat at the Hard Rack Cafe, man. The whole chain? The whole thing. just like one? Everything around the world, Hard Rack Cafe is owned by the Seminole tribe of Florida. No way. Yeah. So cool. I feel like you're like making all of this up. Like the past like five things you've told me sound fake. (laughs) That's cool. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, man. Country boys can survive. It's just what it makes yeah. me think like, man, these are some amazing people and a harsh environment. And it, anyways, the human history, that that's the native history is so cool from, from ancient voyagers and traders, you know, to basically rebels fighting against the invaders kind of a situation. And if you take one thing away from this lesson of the Native American history, it's just like, man, outlast if yeah. you hardiness and outlasting that's how you make it and then eventually you own a restaurant chain so (laughs) that's pretty cool (laughs) that is super cool super fun wow good job yeah and so one cool thing too i mean the Seminole indian tribe not only did they just outlast amongst themselves but a lot of like african-american slaves that were fleeing slavery and and from the north of it's weird to say it like that, you know, because Florida is south. But a lot of fleeing slaves made their way to these swampy areas in South Florida and the Everglades. And the Seminoles took them in and, you know, they kind of, they attached themselves to the Seminole Indians and just integrated. And, you know, it was like a safe haven for for rebels and the people being mistreated by society in a way. I just thought it was so cool. Yeah. You know, and so I really enjoyed learning about the Native American history here and the Everglades. Not, I mean, the European history is interesting as well. And I I love learning about that. But for some reason, Native American history is something that I find really interesting. Yeah. Well, especially for that area where, you know, that was the main place where 
Europeans came, mm-hmm. you know, the first time and stuff. And, and I didn't realize that it was such a major trading route and things like that until we went to dry Tortugas. Right. Uh, yeah. So definitely, you know, if you want to learn more about that, definitely look up like the information about Fort Jefferson at mm-hmm. dry Tortugas, because that really solidifies just how important that area was mm-hmm. for those routes. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Yeah. That's the last fun fact. But I mean, this is just such a cool place in so many ways from geology and ecosystems and habitats and and creatures and, you know, but also like the the recorded history of the area. You know, we didn't touch a whole lot on, you know, a lot of the European settler history. But I mean, that's rich, too. And, you know, it's just this is a really great place to come and to learn and to experience things that you can't experience anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that sums it up, right? The Everglades is, there's so many things that you'll see and learn and do mm-hmm. there that you don't get to experience anywhere. Yeah, so cool. Well, th- hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation and uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for exploring the national parks with us. Please share, like, and subscribe. And if you need any help planning your own trip, click on over to dirtinmyshoes.com. See you next week. Same time, same place. And don't forget to get some dirt in your shoes.